I hope you would expect me to say life groups matter because they do. Uh, it's the area of ministry that I oversee and have responsibility for, and it's what I love doing in the life of our church. Life groups really do matter. And this morning, we're going to take some time to explore uh, the value of that, and I think you'll be able to see a pattern in Scripture uh, that we see over and over and over again, and then it's repeated here in the life of our church uh, about the impact that life groups really do have on people. Jeremy Gray, I'll just give you a shout out there. Thanks for the media team for putting posters in restrooms that invite people to come to life groups. You heard a great story there about that. Advertising works. It's proof, okay? We're grateful for that. Hey, last week, I hope you all got to be here. I know some of you likely did not get to be in the room, uh, but we had a wonderful celebration last week of 20 years uh, of our pastor serving here in that role as senior pastor. What a blessing and what a great day uh, for our church to be together. Uh, I shared earlier, but some of you have come in the room since then. He was blown away by that day and uh, just wanted me to express to you how grateful he was for uh, the love that was poured out for them and their family and time to be away on vacation this last week. He got away from that Thursday in order to get out of town on Friday to be at student camp. So he is preaching this morning uh, at Eagle Irie uh, on a mountain somewhere. Students went on a two-mile hike this morning, and uh, they're having a sermon on the mount somewhere out there, and he's leading it. So he's not Jesus, but he is leading like Jesus today, and we're grateful for that. Last week, as a part of that celebration, one of the things that uh, you saw were some videos that we had collected from uh, different people around the country that I knew would be significant to him, and just expressing appreciation to him and congrats, congratulating him on 20 years of service here. And one of those was, uh, one of the last ones was his younger brother, who's a pastor in Keller, Texas at Keystone Church. And Brandon made a statement that I want to use to kind of uh, launch from here today uh, with a question for you. Brandon made the statement, he said, Eric, when I grow up, I want to be like you. That was a great uh, encouragement. It was, it was an admiration statement of him saying, look, I look up to you. I appreciate what you do in leading the church in Norfolk, and I want to be like that. I want to lead like that. So my question for you is, who do you want to be like when you grow up? Who is it? Have you figured that out? Have you thought about who you want to be like when you grow up? It's a great question, and it's worth our considering today. Now, I'm not talking about when you grow up physically and chronologically. I'm not talking about chronological age. I'm talking about who do you want to be spiritually when you grow up? When you grow up spiritually, who do you want that to be like? You see, thank you. That's a great answer, Ralph. Thank you. That's true. But there are people that God's placed in our lives around us that give us the opportunity to see a living example of that. The apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. And so I would ask you, who are those people around you that God's given you that you really see Christ's likeness in and you want to be like? You see, our spiritual maturity and our chronological age have no correlation whatsoever. There are people in the room that are very young uh, by age, and yet they demonstrate substantial amounts of spiritual maturity in their life. There are people in the room that are in their sixth, seventh, eighth decade of life, perhaps, and maybe they have not even yet begun their relationship with God. Maybe there's never been a time in their life when they've recognized their sin, their need for a savior. They've never turned from their uh, sinful way of life. They've never turned to Jesus, placed their faith and trust in him and allowed him to transform their lives from the inside out. Or maybe you're chronologically older and you've done that recently, but you're very new in your faith. That's okay. So we all have to grow up and mature spiritually in our faith. 
Now, what's interesting to me about that, that question and that thought is that I really can give you an answer for that. I can tell you who you want to be like uh, spiritually when you grow up. And it might not be what you think, uh, because my answer for that is not Jesus, although that should be the right answer. But the answer to that is really it's the people that you're spending your time with. It's the people that you're hanging out with the most. The Old Testament addresses this issue for us in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 13, 20 is a passage of scripture every parent understands intuitively. Proverbs 13, 20 says, the one who walks with the wise will be wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. What's he saying? We become like the people we hang out with. You know what? They rub off on us. The folks that you're running with are the folks that are uh, helping you and shaping you to become who you are. So who do you want to be like when you grow up spiritually? It's those people that you're running with today. Now, when we think about this idea of those closest to us influencing us, there, there are a couple of thoughts that come to mind for me. One is that I have no choice about some of that. Why is that? Because I was born into a family, just like you were born into a family. I didn't get to choose my family. I don't know about you, but I didn't get to pick mine. And so uh, this is not to say that we're locked in and that uh, we are fixed in this way that we're going to become just like everybody in our family. You know, perhaps you grew up in a family that um, put the fun in dysfunction. You know, maybe you were in the family that just had their own issues. Well, guess what? We've all got issues. We all got stuff. But let's say that you were born into extreme poverty or let's say that you were born into a family where there was substance abuse or alcohol abuse or serial divorce and remarriage or whatever those things might be. It doesn't mean, this passage of scripture does not mean you're destined to repeat all of that. No, thank God for the gospel. The gospel changes everything. Jesus can change everything about, about those things in our life and allow us to be able to break those chains and shackles of sin on our lives. Those things are all just a result of the fall in the world around us. Uh, when the fall happened, when sin entered into the world, it distorted everything. It messed up our families. We're all got things that are messed up about us. But I'm talking about the things that you do get to choose. So the gospel, Jesus can help you overcome anything that's in the past of your family. Have hope today. You're not locked into that. But what I want you to know is that you do get to choose the people that you spend much of your time with. And when you do that, you begin to shape something, something about who you are becoming in the future. In 2014, I had the privilege of going back to school, went to Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary to uh, do some postgraduate work. And one of the things I learned in that journey of deciding about going to school again, post age 50, uh, it's a different journey than going when you're 18. So I, I realized that when people are doing postgraduate work, they are really choosing the person that they want to study under far more than they are the institution whose name will appear on their diploma. It's all about saying, this person has some qualities that I really want in my life. So I want to spend time with them. For me, that was Dr. Ken Coley, the uh, chair of the EDD department at uh, Southeastern Seminary. I had been exposed to enough of his teaching and things about him that led me to conclude that guy's got some things that I really want to learn about. I want to learn how he does what he does well. I want to learn from him. And so it was much more about studying with him than it was the institution. We do get to choose. Perhaps the best example of that really comes from Scripture. 
If you've got your Bible, open to Matthew, I'm not sorry, Matthew, to Mark chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. There are two different texts that we'll look at, Mark 3 and Luke chapter 6. But Mark 3 for the moment is a picture for us of something that um, reminds me of this. It's a place where there were a group of men who were faced with a similar question. Who do I want to be when I grow up? Now we know these men as the disciples. This passage of scripture refers to them as the 12. But they were confronted at different places and times with an opportunity to make a choice about who they were going to be when they grew up. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew 4.19 says it this way, when Jesus approached Peter and Andrew, he said, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Yeah, and so the Bible says immediately they dropped their nets and they followed after Jesus. And so they received an invitation from Jesus to follow him. But Mark chapter three uh, tells us that as Jesus uh, gathered together these around him, verse 13 says, he went up the mountain and he summoned those that he wanted and they came to him. He also appointed 12. He also named them apostles to be with him, to send them out to preach and to have authority and to drive out demons. What I want you to see is that there is a pattern that we find in scripture and this pattern uh, becomes significant for us because it is repeated over and over again. We see in this place that Jesus went about calling and inviting these individuals into community. He invited them into a group to follow after him. And he said that he was assuming the responsibility for bringing about changes and transformations in their lives. He said, I'll make you into fishers of men if you'll follow after me. Jesus extended an invitation for them to follow him. And in this gospel, in Mark's gospel, he just says, at this moment, Jesus summoned those he wanted to be with him, the 12. He called those to be with him. There's a picture of Jesus inviting here consistently uh, people into this community. You see, Jesus understood that uh, in this invitation, or the disciples understood that in this invitation, was an opportunity not just to attend a class or to attend an interest meeting about being a disciple. It was an invitation to leave what they were doing and to follow after Jesus. In the first century, this was not an unusual experience that there would be public rabbis or teachers or philosophers uh, that gained some notoriety and there were people that actually followed after them from place to place to learn from them. What was unusual about this situation is that Jesus initiated the invitation. In most of those circumstances, like I described about the seminary, for me, individuals would say, I want to learn from this person. They would approach them and say to them, could I be your disciple? Could I follow after you? Could I carry your briefcase for you? Could I travel along with you and learn from you? But that's not what happens here. Jesus is the one who initiates the invitation. And it's the same way that he does with us today. Jesus continues to call us today by name, one by one, to follow after him. It is the very first call any one of us receive is the call to follow after Jesus. Amen. Jesus was a man on a mission and he was seeking and he was going to save those who were lost. Jesus knew exactly who he wanted to follow him. He saw in these men the potential for changing the world and he called them to himself. He invited them. But not only did Jesus invite them, he also instructed them. 
Mark chapter six, verse eight tells us that Jesus instructed the disciples. What did he instruct them to do? He instructed them to not take anything with them except their staff. He didn't mean their church staff. He meant their walking stick staff. And they would take their staff with them. He was telling them, God will provide everything that you need from this point forward. Just go. Jesus instructed them. Jesus instructed them on a number of occasions we find through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record many of the teachings of Jesus. And it's in those moments that Jesus was instructing them about life. He was instructing them about death. He was instructing them about the future. He instructed them about relationships. He instructed them about giving. He instructed them about leading, about uh, loving, about caring for people, about serving, helping John says that Jesus was filled with grace and truth. Jesus instructed them in truths that would transform their lives and would shape who they were becoming. Jesus was going to expose them uh, to ideas and to resources that they did not yet fully understand. Jesus instructed them often in a particular method. He used stories. Jesus, the Bible says, used parables or stories. Mark chapter 12, verse one says, and Jesus began to teach them using stories or using parables. Why? Jesus understood the 12. He understands you and me. He understood mankind. He knew that we think in stories. You think about when we meet other people and we get together and we talk about things, we're telling stories. Hey, I went to the store the other day and this happened to me. I'm telling a story. We think in stories. Jesus told stories that these men could relate to. The characters in the stories that he would talk about were the kinds of people they understood. And they would relate to these individuals. And they would understand the message that Jesus was sharing with them. Sometimes, sometimes they didn't understand. He would further explain what it is that he was trying to help them understand. But Jesus used stories because he knew they would remember stories because he knew it would be important for them later because they would need to retell these stories. The disciples would retell these stories in a number of places. Uh, verbally, they would retell these stories, but they would also retell these stories, some of them, as they wrote the Gospels that we have today. Grateful that Jesus instructed his disciples. Those men's lives were changed because of his teaching and his instruction. But it wasn't just attending a lecture that Jesus was inviting them into. Jesus was inviting them to be involved in meaningful ministry. You know, Jesus wasn't just calling them to say, I need y'all to be cheerleaders and y'all be on the side and y'all lead the applause when I say something good. Not at all. No, Jesus was calling them to join him in the ministry that he would be performing. Jesus was helping them to experience the blessing of God, but also the blessing of blessing others. These men would be used by him to tell other people where they too could find life. They would give testimony of their lives being changed and being transformed. Jesus didn't invite them to just hang out for a little while. He was inviting them to come with him. He involved them in this ministry. He sent them out. They were given significant tasks. Look at some of the text in Mark uh, that, that Jesus does this. Mark 6, 7, he sends them out in pairs to be involved in ministry. Mark 6, 12, so they went out and they preached that people should repent. Later in Mark's gospel, chapter six, there was a hungry crowd. They were learning from the instructions from Jesus. But he did not say, watch me as I feed all these people. This is gonna be really neat. What did Jesus say in Mark six thirty-seven? He said, you 
give them something to eat. Jesus gave them a task to do. In Mark chapter 8, the disciples were gathered with Jesus. There were 4,000 men, the Bible says, that were gathered there. They had been with Jesus for three days. They were hungry. The Bible says that Jesus had compassion on them and did not want to send them away hungry. So he tasked the disciples with finding a solution. They put together all that they had. They had some loaves and fishes. They brought them to Jesus. Jesus blessed them, multiplied them. There were seven baskets left over. That moment would shape who those men became. Jesus involved them in meaningful ministry. Jesus asked the disciples to be a sounding board for him. He wanted their feedback. He said, what are you hearing out there? What are, who are people saying that I am? And then Jesus said to Peter, who do you say that I am? You remember this moment. This is where Peter said, you're the Christ. I've concluded that you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Jesus said to him, you're right, Peter. You're exactly right. And he said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. My father in heaven has revealed that to you. They were in a group when this happened. It's not just a one-on-one -on -one conversation. The other guys in the group were learning because of this conversation between Peter and Jesus. They were taking note as well. Jesus involved these men in meaningful ministry all around him. Mark chapter um, 14, verse 13, the Bible tells us that Jesus sent two of the disciples on ahead. He said to the 12, hey, you two, I need you to go on to Jerusalem. And there I need you to prepare for a really important meeting. We're going to have a meal together. I need you to go set everything up and get it ready. And it was a significant moment where Jesus would teach the disciples about sacrificial service. You remember it was there that Jesus washed the feet of the disciples and he said to them, what I've done for you, you need to go and do for others. Jesus involved the disciples in meaningful ministry. Amazing model and picture that we see repeated over and over and over in scripture. But I want you to see that Jesus also invested. He invested uh, in these men in a way that they were able to be entrusted with the future of this ministry. You realize that Jesus uh, recognized that in these men would become the responsibility for taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. We're here today worshiping the Lord Jesus because he is risen from the dead. And we know about that because of the eyewitness testimony of these men. You see that Jesus recognized that as he would give his life on our behalf, as he would be buried in that borrowed tomb, and as he would rise again from the dead, he was going back to be with the Father. Jesus told the disciples, he said, look, if I don't go away, then the Comforter, the Holy Spirit will not come. But if I go away, the Comforter will come. He will be with you. Jesus sent them out on this mission. After the resurrection, Jesus meets with the disciples and he says to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. I want you to go make disciples out of all the nations. Should I baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? And I want you to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Don't miss it. I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. They didn't have to go by themselves. They didn't have to take on this enormous worldwide ministry in and of themselves. See, the Holy Spirit was going to indwell them. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. Amen. It's amazing. What I see happening is that 
in three short years, Jesus transformed these men from a ragtag band of followers uh, or fishermen to become a group of men that he would use to absolutely change the world. Nothing super special about these guys. They just were with Jesus. In that Mark 3 passage, it said he summoned them to be with him. In the presence of Jesus, for that window of time, their lives were transformed. Turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 6, verse 40, because this is the amazing thing to me when I look at this passage of Scripture. Jesus says this is what will happen, but what I'm telling you is that it's exactly what did happen. In Luke chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus says a disciple is not above his teacher. But when he is fully trained, he will be like whom? He'll be like his teacher. Do you see what happened? Jesus successfully transformed the lives of these 12 men. And he did it by the time that he spent together with them as a group. Now I want you to note what Jesus did not do. Jesus did not say, okay, look, you guys show up this morning at nine o'clock uh, in a classroom and we're gonna spend an hour together and then we're gonna scatter and we're gonna go our, you know, all directions. And he didn't say, hey, I'm gonna give you a, a book and I want you to read this and study this and be ready for the test on Thursday. That's not what he said. Jesus invited them to be with him. And in the group, together, they were able to learn from one another and they were able to see a living example of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. There was something significant about the relationships that were forged within that group. Lives were being transformed and they were witnessing in each other the changes that Jesus was bringing about in the lives of his followers. It's transformation. Jesus took these three years of concentrated time and he brought about life change you see, those disciples had to figure out, who do I want to be like when I grow up? And they concluded, I want to be like Jesus. Therefore, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to spend time with him. I'm going to give myself to him. So I ask you again, who is it that you're becoming like? Spiritually, as you're growing up, who are you becoming like? Who's inviting you? Who's instructing you? Who's involving you in meaningful ministry? Who's investing in you for the future of the kingdom of God. From where I stand, in ministry here in the life of this church, I have a unique vantage point. I have a wonderful relationship with lots of leaders in this church. I'm so thankful to God for every leader in this church who is giving themselves to this task and taking seriously the call of God to go into the world and make disciples. And they do it every day. Where are people growing up and maturing in our church? It, I would say it's happening largely um, in terms of a way that we're aware of it in our life groups. Life change happens in this room. We gather together for worship. Life change also happens in these smaller groups. I'm so grateful and God continues to raise up leaders in our church who are passionate about this arena of making disciples. Here's what I see. When I look out at the life of our church, I see people that are being invited. I see leaders that are inviting people. I see people in our church inviting people. Just like Jesus did, this pattern continues to be repeated. Just a few moments ago, um, Michael Little came to see me after the last service. 
And he had a young lady with him. And he said, I just wanted you to meet this young lady. He said, she was sitting on the pew next to me and today's her first Sunday here. And he said, so I invited her to my life group. And so we had a great conversation here. She's upstairs in a life group today. But can I tell you why she's there? Because somebody said, hey, would you come to my group with me? And that happens over and over again. I want you to listen to some stories that I collected this last couple of weeks. I asked our life group leaders about things that had taken place in their groups. I contacted some individuals uh, about their groups. And here's what I learned. One young lady uh, who's in this room today said, I first attended a life group because I was invited by a friend. I was skeptical at first, but when I came, I realized that I was exactly where I needed to be. I was in a dark place. I was struggling with depression, suicidal thoughts. But when I came to the life group, I wasn't judged. I was not questioned. Instead, I was greeted with open arms and compassion. I was shown the love of Jesus by total strangers who quickly became some of my biggest blessings in my life. Joining a life group is about community. And it's about being willing to share about the messy parts of our life and having people who will sit with you through the mess. It became a group where I could ask for prayer. It became a group where we would talk on Sunday mornings, but rather than a group of women who just talked, uh, instead offered prayer for you and really asked how you were doing. Life group for me is something that encouraged me to see that there is purpose in my pain. I don't have to walk the road of pain and suffering alone. What a great testimony of someone who was invited by a friend into a community just like Jesus invited the 12 into community. I knew you saw in the video a moment ago another member that said she sat here for 15 years in worship before she went into a life group. And she said in the end of her notes here that you didn't hear on that just a moment ago, she said, well, it's been nearly eight months now and I'm still involved with that group. They won't let me go. And I'm glad they won't. They keep calling me, they keep checking on me, they keep encouraging me, and they keep inviting me to be a part. And I'll tell you, inviting matters. In your life groups here, you'll see, and you'll stickers around here, and you're being asked each week, who did you invite this week? There's a reason for that. Jesus invited people into community, and we want to invite people into relationship and community as well. Another life group member shared that um, just how their life was changed by being invited um, and being involved in the ministry of their life group, um, ultimately by coming to know Christ. Said so they weren't a believer when they came into the group, but being in the group and being invited to be a part of the group led them to a place where they could hear the gospel. They could hear hope for their life. They began to understand that other people in their group had something that they did not possess, and that was a relationship with Jesus Members of the group help them come to know Christ. I see people who are receiving instruction, just like Jesus instructed the disciples week after week after week. There are leaders in this church who love preschoolers and children and students and adults. And they spend time in God's word preparing to give something back to the people that are part of those groups every week. I am so thankful to God for leaders who lead by example in that way and who give. One man shared with me how he had come to Christ in the last three or four years as an adult and didn't really grow up going to church, reading his Bible, and how that his group had been helpful to him. 
because he had learned so much just about the Bible and that he didn't know anything about. He said there was a time that he was kind of intimidated. He thought, uh, everybody in here knows a lot more than me about this. But he said, the people in my group cared enough about me to help me learn some things about my Bible and help me be comfortable asking questions about things that I just did not understand. You see, a life group becomes a place where people find instruction. I want to encourage you to recognize that <clears throat> the instruction that happens in our groups week after week becomes significant. We understand that the Bible says that the Word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. The Word of God has the power to change lives. So it is the Word of God that we gather around in our groups. We want people to be able to know. Jesus said, teach them to understand, to obey everything that I've commanded. Much of those things he commanded were some of those stories. So in our groups, we have leaders that are committed to helping people understand the stories of the Bible, to be able to retell those stories of the Bible to others, to allow those stories to begin to influence their thinking. Again, under the instruction of the Word of God, we continue to see in groups individuals who come to faith in Jesus because they hear, they understand, they have an opportunity to ask. I see people who are involved in meaningful ministry. You know, through our groups, uh, we have so many groups that are just engaging people in so many different ways. I'm thankful uh, for those leaders who help us do that. I asked some of those leaders, tell me about some of the folks in your group, some of the things that happened. One shared with me, they meet off campus, uh, you know, at home at night, and they had some folks in their group that felt like they should be serving in student ministry. So they still are part of the group on Tuesday night, but they have made their way. They've made connections with student ministry. They're now serving, helping students grow up in their faith. I have another group that uh, shared with me that um, there was a child born uh, to one of the families in their group, and it was during the time there was a crisis with the uh, baby formula stuff. And so their group just took it on themselves to figure out, hey, when you're out shopping, if you find some, uh, help us know. Helping one another in difficult circumstances. In another group, member of that group was in a crisis. The group leader realized they did not know how to help this particular situation. But that group leader reached out to one of our staff and ultimately was able to help get that person to a place where they could find some help uh, through our partnership with Eden Counseling. I'm so thankful for leaders who want to involve other people in meaningful ways of serving. Many of you are parts of groups that are helping with providing food through our food distribution. Uh, on Saturdays, through our missions ministry team, you're helping to do that. One group shared with me that they collected about $800 to help send students to camp. Students that are at camp right now. I got a text message from Seth Peterson this morning. He said, I have four scheduled for baptism Tuesday afternoon when we get back here. You know what that means? You're a part of that. You are a part of that meaningful ministry that says, I'm not just about me. I'm about engaging other people and about helping others. Another group uh, identified ways that they help folks in their group with packing because this is a place that people move away from because of the military. And they help groups with unpacking because people move here and they come here and they're trying to get settled. Uh, they help provide meals for people in need. I see groups that are involving others in helping care for people that are hurting. People who find themselves at a time of loss of a parent, loss of a spouse, loss of a sibling, loss of a child. We've got group members that have struggled with infertility, 
with miscarriage. And I know leaders are mobilizing people in their group to come around those people and love them and care for them in moments of tremendous crisis. Involving people in meaningful ministry shapes and changes who they are becoming. It changes us from the inside out. God made us to be in community. He made us to be in relationship with one another. God did not make us to be in isolation. You need to be connected with a community of people who are helping to shape who you are going to become. I look around and I see people who are investing in others. In the same way that Jesus invested in those 12 in order to continue the work of the gospel and the spread of the gospel around the world, I see that our model of ministry here means that our leaders recognize they will not lead the group they're leading forever. There will be a successive leader at some point. And every wise leader recognizes that and he has someone behind him that he is investing in and training to be the next person to be in leadership. But far beyond that, we believe that groups are multiplying and we see groups multiplying and we see people reaching new people. So part of that training is leaders identifying one or two or three other people in their group in whom they see the value in investing significant amounts of time because they are preparing and equipping them to lead the next group that will start from their group in the future. I'm so grateful for seeing leaders who get it that it's not just about me and my group, but it is about making disciples that will continue to multiply and make disciples Amen. in the future, in the life of our church. And so one leader um, in training uh, that we do recently, uh, training for foundations and disciple making shared, I didn't recognize that it was my responsibility to make disciples. I thought that was just for the teachers and just for the pastors. I thought they were the ones that were doing that. That leader has now continued to go through additional training with her leader. She's a co-leader in the group that she's in now. She's launching her own group in September. There are new groups that are starting in the days to come because leaders represent, recognize the value in investing in others in this way. One leader that was in the last hour shared with me that he'd been leading a group for 43 years in this church. And he said, we have sent out missionaries to Montana. We've sent out people to start new churches and to pastor churches and be on staff in churches. We've sent people out to start new groups all across this area. And throughout our church, we have a number of leaders that started in this group and now they've scattered and they're involved in leading others today. Uh, Dave Lewis shared with me yesterday that he had three different couples that have now moved away from here. Guess what they've done? They've started groups in their churches in other places because they see the value of one person investing in the life of another person. These folks have invested themselves in the lives of these young couples. And consequently, there's multiplication and we celebrate that today. I see people that recognize they're indwelt by the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit empowers them to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. People like the team that just got back from Malawi going to a place for the purpose of taking the gospel, not in their own strength, but from a church that sends them, prays over them and commissions them to go out and do the things that Jesus commanded us to do. Amen. So again, I ask you, who do you want to be like? 
when you grow up? Who do you want to be like spiritually when you grow up? Recently, my siblings and I had the opportunity to um, be at my mom's house helping her prepare for moving into assisted living. And I came across a box in a closet and I took this box down. It's amazing what moms keep. Moms keep some of the strangest things, you know. And uh, so I opened this box up and I'm like, what is this? And so this is a beautiful piece of wallpaper, but it was, it's actually a preschool hymnal um, that I made in probably 1963 or four, something like that. And so um, this has some wonderful preschool songs in it, and she had kept that. That was significant to her. I, I found uh, this tree, and I'm guessing that we must have been learning something about Jesus caring about the sparrows that fall and um, taking care of us and providing for us. Um, I found my vacation Bible school certificate, Helping in God's World. And this is my vacation Bible school certificate from 1967 from Beaumar Avenue Baptist Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. Um, uh, fun things, interesting things. I found this little cute thing I made here, this little booklet with a, a church on the front of it. That's Beaumar Avenue Baptist Church in Vicksburg and a Bible. And there's a picture of my pastor then, uh, Gwen Turner. And he has long since gone to be with the Lord. And uh, inside of this, just a reminder that I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Now, why is that significant? Well, it's a bunch of paper that's 60 years old is what that is. But it represents something to me. I recognize that 60 years ago or so, longer than that, there were some people who heard the call of Jesus to follow them. And they said, yes. I want to follow after Jesus. And they were instructed about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and they grew and they learned. And they were involved in meaningful ministry and they were investing in other people for the sake of the future. My guess is that whoever was leading Vacation Bible School in Beaumar Avenue Baptist Church in 1967 had no idea that I would be preaching today. Amen. But the truth is, They were investing in the future. And what I want you to see is that we do become like those we hang around. Jesus said that the disciple, when he's fully trained, he'll be like his teacher. Amen. I ask you, who do you want to be like when you grow up? I know who God wants you to be like. God wants you to be shaped more and more and more into the image of Jesus. But the way he does that is through the people that you begin to associate yourself with. Proverbs says, if you walk with wise people, you'll be wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. I can't encourage you enough. Choose wisely those people that you're going to be closest to. They are going to influence your life far more than you might ever realize. And I'd say to those of you in the room that are incredibly young, those of you that are in middle school, high school, and God's given you a life ahead of you that can have tremendous impact in the world around you, but choose wisely who those people are that you associate yourselves with because God will use those people in one way or another. I, I don't know who's discipling you, 
Who are you learning from? Who is it that is inviting you and instructing you and investing in you and involving you? It may be a news anchor on a 24-hour news channel. It may be someone on your favorite country or rock station. It may be some get-rich-quick guru scheme on YouTube. I don't know what you're giving yourself to, but you're giving yourself to something. Someone is speaking into your life. Someone is shaping who you are becoming. And what I want to challenge you with today is to ask you, is that person or those people helping you grow up to be more like Jesus? If they're not, I want to encourage you today, change playgrounds, change playmates, find some people around you who will help you do that. Where does that happen in our church today? It happens through our life groups. It happens through the groups in our church. So I have a challenge for you today. I'm going to close with this and ask you if you'll um, grab a blue card in front of you or on the end of the pew somewhere. If you'll get one of these or get out your smartphone in just a moment, either way, you can do this. But with this card, let me just say to those of you that are a part of a group right now, you're part of one of the life groups in our church. Or you're, you're part of a group where you are being discipled being led to be like Jesus. Would you put your name on this card for me and just on the back of the card, just write the name of your group. And I'd like for you just to, just to give me one or two sentences. I want to use these to encourage some group leaders. But just would you just jot down a sentence or two about how your life is being shaped to be more like Jesus because you're a part of this group. Now, I'm assuming that is happening because you're showing up. It doesn't matter if you're signed up for a group. Jesus never called the disciples to sign up to be a disciple. He told them to show up to be a disciple. And so I want to invite you and implore you to show up for a group. And if you're showing up in a group, God is using uh, some folks in your group to change your life. Can I remind you, it's not only your leader that you learn from. There are some other people in your group that you're learning a lot from. There are other people that are speaking up in a group. Just like Peter spoke up in that conversation with Jesus, I'm sure the disciples took note of some things that they learned in that moment. Being connected to a group's important. I'd like you just a couple of sentences testimony about how your group has influenced and shaped who you are becoming. Some of you, I pray a lot of you, I've actually I just asked the Lord to do this today to um, help people have a chance to raise a hand um, with this card. Um, have come to a place where you realize I, I've been in my group, I've been a part of this group and I've grown as a part of being in this group but I really need to be using my gifts to lead somewhere. It's time for me to step out of the nest and do something and use my gifts. When I look around this church, can I just tell you the most fulfilled people that I see are the people that are serving. People that are serving have a smile on their face. People that are serving are uh, pleasant. They are a joy to be with. They are using their gifts for God's glory. I'm going to ask you, there's a number on the screen. You can use the phone for this. You can text a message to this number, or you can just write on this card. I'd love for you, if you are at a place where you'd say, hey, I, it's time for me to begin taking seriously this call to be engaged in helping making disciples of others. Somebody help me. I'd, I'd be willing to do that. I'd be willing to serve somewhere, help out with our preschoolers, with our children, with our students, with our adults. I need to do that. Would you just write lead on the back of there? Write lead on the back of this card. I want to help you find an opportunity in the life of this church to be engaged as a leader in helping people grow up in their faith to be like Jesus. 
But the last group that I want to speak to are those of you that are not connected to a group in this church. Honestly, I just have to say to you, you're missing out on something if you're not connected to a group of people that are committed to helping you grow up to be like Jesus. Just got to say to you, you need that. The first crisis in the Bible we find in Genesis 2.18, God said man should not be alone. It's not good that man's alone. He didn't make us to live in isolation. He made us to be in relationship with himself and with other people. I want to help you get connected to a group of people. They may not be here on Sunday mornings. They may be in somebody's house on Thursday night. Uh, We have groups that meet on campus, off campus, Sunday mornings, and all times throughout the week. I want to help you find a place where somebody's helping you grow to be like Jesus. You just write the word life group on the back of this. Put your name, contact information on here. You can drop this in the offering box on the way out today. But I want to have an opportunity to help you take a step of faith. You can also text that number and just text life group on there. I'll know that you need a life group. Someone on our staff will follow up with you. I'm in my sixth decade of life and fourth decade of ministry. And can I tell you what I've decided about my answer to that question? Who do I want to be when I grow up? I want to be a faithful disciple of Jesus. And I want to be an effective disciple maker of Jesus. See, a disciple by definition is a disciple maker. The disciples understood when Jesus said, go in the world and make disciples, he was saying, go do for other people exactly what I've done for you. Jesus had a lot to say about investing. He said, hey, don't get all worked up spending all your time trying to store up treasures here on earth and working hard for things that are going to rust or moths are going to eat or they're going to get stolen. He said, spend your time investing in things of eternity. Chris adds, it's the author of a book called Personal Disciple Making, and he said there are three things that last for eternity, God, the Word of God, and the souls of men. Wow. God, the Word of God, and the souls of men. Jesus spent his time investing in the souls of 12 men that changed the world. I want to give the rest of my life following faithfully after Jesus, but making disciples who will make disciples. So in the days to come here, If you encounter me, I'm probably going to ask you, which group are you in? Are you ready to start leading a group? Who are you discipling? Are you ready to start making disciples of other people? Because that's what God's laid on my heart to be passionate about. But today, if you're not connected to a group, I want to invite you specifically, take a step of faith. Get yourself connected to a community of people who are committed to helping you grow up to be like Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful for the model that you've given us in Scripture of the 12 and the model that you gave us of how their lives were shaped and changed and molded in such a way that changed the world. Jesus, I thank you for changing our lives because of the cross, because of the empty tomb. Either simply by placing our faith and trust in you, God, you begin a work in our hearts and lives. But as the Apostle Paul said, um, God, you're you're faithful to complete that work. You're committed to helping us grow up. And so God, today, I pray that you would uh, raise up men and women who need to take a step of faith to begin leading other people to grow up to be more like Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would call out men and women, that you would speak to their hearts even right now to say, today's your day to get connected to a group of people that will help you grow up to be like Jesus. 
Father, would you do it for your glory? It's in your name we pray. Amen.